Welcome to Life on Less Meds, a podcast that reveals the truth about drug side effects and the best strategies to manage them. And now your host, Dr. Yosef Wittering. Hi, I'm Dr. Yosef Wittering. It's my pleasure to be joined again by Ruben DeWitt, one of the co-founders of the PSSD Network. Um, uh, we're going to pick up our conversation uh, from from a couple of days ago and actually talk about how Ruben became involved in PSSD Network and and go from there. He has a very interesting personal story. So Ruben, turn it over to you. Um, you're not a PSSD sufferer, but you're kind of, you know, steering the ship of the network at the moment. How, how did you get involved in this? Why are you doing it? All right. Thanks again for having me, of course. Um, so let's start at the beginning. So how did I actually get to know about PSSD? Um, as, as you said before, I'm not a sufferer. Uh, my partner is the one who is suffering. Uh, she developed PSSD in around 2020. Um, she took three different medications, actually. And uh, I actually knew from PSSD as soon as she started the meds because I was kind of anxious about the medication. The problem was um, the community was not as large as it was at, at the time. Uh, so when I checked the subreddit, it had like 700 members or something. And I was like, huh, there's millions and millions of people taking these drugs, there's no way that this, you know, is something that really happens or if it happens, it's very, very rare. Sadly, I was wrong or we were wrong. So she started the meds basically, Sertraline first time. Uh, she developed kind of, you know, the dysfunction on the meds, but when she came off, it actually, you know, it went back to normal kind of. She then tried, we, she basically talked to her psychiatrist, oh, I don't like that I have this dysfunction on the meds. Do we have something that's better? Then she tried Wellbutrin or Bupropion, and uh, it caused her insane brain zaps. She couldn't work for two weeks, I think. She had to stay home because she couldn't. She could barely move. And every step she took, like, it made her brain zap, um, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, yeah, she came off obviously after after being on it for three weeks. Uh, and then the last med she tried was venlafaxine. And this is actually the med that kind of, I guess, finished the job, I would say. And so mm-hmm. the dysfunction on the meds became really bad. Um, she lost like her romantic feelings for me. Uh, it just disappeared. And uh, so, and then I learned more and more about PSSD. You know, I, I still was in the, like on the top of the water. I didn't really dive into it because I was not trying to scare myself or, you know, and uh, she also didn't really want to look into it because I mean, it's kind of traumatic, you know? Uh, so I, Try to dive into it a bit more. Um, we asked her psychiatrist to taper off, and she tapered off. She was told to taper off fenlafaxine, two hundred twenty-five milligrams, in six weeks, and she was on it for, I don't know, a year or something or more. I think she was on it for quite a while, um, and and she got she was told to taper in six weeks, and I, I didn't know anything about tapering, nor she did she. So we did that, and I'm actually it's actually surprising my girlfriend's still alive if I think about it. Because that's a huge dose, and to, to get off with it this quickly after that long of a time, right? Uh, so one thing I'll say still about this is that her psychiatrist repeatedly told her that um, it will come back when you stop, right? We this was a concern we had, uh, and she also mentioned it to psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist always said it will come back when you stop. Don't worry about it, and reassured her to, t- to keep taking it, um, and then. She stopped. It didn't come back. It's it's now two years, I think, or a bit less than two years. And she went in that time back to the psychiatrist. 
And uh, she said, oh, yeah, it's not coming back. And then the psychiatrist said to her, oh, it's possible it might not come back. Just like that. <laughs> I don't know. And Wow. Yeah. And uh, then she... Then she even, then she said, okay, it might, maybe it's the underlying depression. No, maybe you're still depressed. And then she got, prescribed her antipsychotic meds to sleep. And I, because my girlfriend was struggling to sleep and, yeah. uh, and I, I basically came home and my girlfriend was happy because I finally can sleep now. And then I like looked at this. I totally forgot the med name now. Seroquel. Um, it Sorry, wasn't Seroquel. It was like, with, uh, yeah. it was to drip, like with uh, to drink, I think. Interesting. I don't know the I, one, I but know, it's any, an antipsychotic. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it was an antipsychotic. So I googled it. I looked into it. I was like, "What? You know, more yeah. more psych meds?" And then I kind of not just more psych of, psych meds. Uh, a medication that will give you a permanent movement disorder. Um, you know, if if um, you know, when there's probably like I, I don't know, like five other sedative medications I can think of that don't cause permanent neurological damage. So yeah, yeah. It, it was absolutely crazy. So I had to, because my girlfriend was totally not into this entire community. I kind of had to convince her a little bit to not take this because she really believed in the system as did I before all this. So luckily she, you know, she didn't take it and her sleep got better. Uh, her symptoms are better. Now she's not the most severe case. Like she can still feel joy and, you know, do things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, there's some dysfunction, but it's not, uh, it's not, it is very impactful on our relationship and it really hurts both of us, but, um, we will still push through and, you know, and yeah. So basically that's how I got started and got to know about PCT. Let me ask you this. So when your girlfriend started getting prescribed antidepressants, PSD was already, sorry, PSSD was already a recognized important, you know, risk in in the ema you know and, and by that i mean you know not only is it listed in the drug label but it's actually listed in the special warnings and precautions section of the labels which is a category reserved for you know what they consider to be the most important risks of the drug as i'm sure you're aware of um they changed the labeling but it doesn't appear that there you know i've talked to david healy about this but it doesn't appear there was any risk mitigation measures aside from labeling changes things such as you know informing clinicians saying hey you know we have a new risk of this very popular class of medications um you know we're going to send you a letter to inform you about it we recommend that you actually incorporate this into any risk benefit discussion when starting medications with patients so so obviously the EMA did not go that extra step to to advise people to do that. How do you feel about that now, knowing that it was this risk, it was in the label, but that there, there wasn't any of this risk mitigation? Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. You know, my, as I said, my girlfriend took it in 2020 and EMA acknowledged it in 2019. So it was completely avoidable. And it, from what I felt, it felt it seems like the psychiatrist actually knew about it or that it, there was something like this and chose not to inform my girlfriend and us, basically. Um, I know that, so this happened in Germany. I'm, I live in Germany, but I'm not from Germany. So I think the PSSD Germany tried to get a Rotterhand-Brief, like sent to clinicians, which is basically a letter to warn them about it. And this wasn't able to happen. This They couldn't make this happen. I'm not sure exactly why, but they tried it. But yeah, it was, I guess, denied somehow. Uh, so that, yeah, it's ridiculous. It could have been completely avoided 
you know, um, especially if the risk is unknown. If, if let's say, let's say PSSD is proven to be like one in a million or something, then, then, I, then, okay, maybe it's not super important to inform about it because it's, like I said, every kind of medication has a rare chance to kill you almost, right? So maybe then, right? But since the risk is unknown and since there's like not much very like statistics on it and the statistic we, we do have actually indicate that it's not as rare as we, people think, then people should definitely be, you know, informed about it. And it wasn't, oh yeah, also this, my girlfriend wasn't like disabled from depression or anxiety or something. You know, first of all, she had a social anxiety disorder, which she just, you know, it's not like it was just tough to be. There's so many other ways to tackle this. That's what I'm trying to say. And uh, it, it wasn't like she was going to take her life the next day. So she totally didn't need all this. Yeah, no, I and I think what you said about the incidents is spot on. I mean, no one knows how frequent it is. I mean, and the more I've thought about it, the more I've you know, you, you start to see, I mean, how many people with PSSD are walking around thinking that they have, I don't know, a sexual problem and then something like chronic fatigue, you know, you know, that it's been kind of split into other conditions um, or they think they have yet yeah, treatment resistant depression because they're so apathetic and chronic fatigue and, and so, yeah, so that, that, that's spot on that the problem, the thing with PSSD is that, you know, I, you know, I, I, I have done this at pharmaceutical companies before, you know, these risk assessments, this really does tip, you know, it weighs on that risk benefit assessment and it especially should influence the prescribing patterns for someone, especially if they're going to give it to a young person. And I don't want to be glib about this, but maybe it's not that big of a deal if someone is 60, you know, yeah. but if someone is, you know, a teenager, you know, say if someone is in their early 20s, I mean, the impact that it's going to have on their ability to, you know, have these relationships is is massive. And I think, you know, the use of antidepressants in that age group, you know, given the seriousness of this, should only be reserved for the sickest patients now. Um, so, I mean, it's a big deal. Part of me wonders, you know, it's always interesting to know, you know, what influences the decisions of regulators and pharmaceutical companies and things when it comes to this. And I suspect from the regulatory standpoint, there's got to be people in there who are just saying, if we make a big deal out of this, we are going to look so bad. People are going to say to us, why didn't you pick this up earlier? You know, these drugs have been on the market since like 87 or something like that. And only now you found it, you know, what the hell were you doing for the yeah. last 30 years, you know, 30 plus years? And so it's it's almost like let's like kind of just sneak it in there. We don't want to cause panic, you know. They'll say, "Oh, we don't want to, we don't, wanna, we don't want to scare people." But I think like the other side of that coin is like, "Oh shit, we're going to look really incompetent," um, and we don't want that either. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. I mean, that's definitely a big part of it. I mean, who wants to admit that their profession kind of might might be might have been responsible or is responsible for? causing like persistent sexual dysfunction in, you know, thousands of people, you know, if you, as I mentioned before, if you took, take a look at this latest study that was published in a psychiatric uh, journal, they estimated the risk to be one in 216. If you run these numbers on the US, that's huge, you know, yeah. and, and also tons of kids are on these meds. 
there was a recent study that got released that looked at acetalopram to help kids stop wetting their beds. If you think about it, like the most benign thing ever. I mean, I mean, I guess it can be annoying, but it's not something life, you know, ruining. Uh, it, it, they just they keep trying to find ways to use these meds, even though they and then they spend no money at all into researching something like akathisia, PSSD, all these, you know, severe conditions. Yeah, it's uh, well, but yeah, we. The only way we can actually stop this is just by speaking up and with the community, with the VSD network, we also wish to, you know, speak out loudly and clearly and then maybe hopefully drive some change there. Yeah. So, yeah. So let's go there now. Tell me about, um, tell me about how PSSD network started. Right. So, um, so it first started as a volunteer group in just WhatsApp, some people, um, uh, we had some ideas, um, and well, I'm a software engineer, so I had the idea to make a website. That was the first thing I tried to do, set up the website for PCD network. Uh, and then we basically had to, our first kind of thing was to, we wanted to make an awareness campaign and one of our members, um, came up with the idea of making a picture campaign. The, these photos, you've seen them probably. Um, so that was a great idea. Uh, so it was, the, I think three, three or four people were involved in this and the idea, you know, the brainstorming and I set up the form where people could submit their pictures. So we, we rushed around and asked people, oh, please send your picture, you know, write this down. And, uh, we posted this on our website as the first kind of awareness campaign. And, uh, this got the attention of a journalist, Joe McFarlane for the Daily Mail. And she said, oh, these pictures are great and, and touching. And she reached out to us and asked to use them for the Daily Mail article. And uh, that was kind of our first step into uh, the media. And uh, we actually got new people reach out to us from the Daily Mail article that were like, I've had this for 10 years or 11 years, and I didn't even know about this. For, for example, Simon is one of these people. You spoke to him as well. And he basically Googled, why are my genitals numb? And he didn't know what it was. And because of this, you know, because the media outreach, we were able to tell him about PSSD. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's basically the first step into how the PSSD network, you know, got started. Yeah. And um, what are some of the things that the PSSD network has accomplished um, since it was formed? Yeah. So um, as I said, we try to reach out to as many people as we can, journalists as well. Uh, so we've had several articles published about us. Um, one of them, and also like a, a TV, uh, I guess, spot in the France, in France five, there was like a piece about antidepressants and there they dedicated five minutes to PSSD. And in there, they basically showed the subreddit and they talked quite a lot about, uh, or they showed a lot our website and the videos on our website. Uh, so. And uh, we also made awareness on TikTok and uh, some of our videos have close to a million views, which is also something we saw, oh, this is like an easy way to get outreach out there. And uh, I think in total, these really big videos have like almost 3 million views. Um, and there we also saw a lot of people comment, oh, I thought I was asexual. I've been taking this these meds for like, I don't know, 10 years at, since age 16. and 
I've never had, you know, interest in these activities. And, you know, it, it, that also showed us that there's so many people out there that don't have any idea that they have it. And that's why it's so important to raise awareness. That's, let's, yeah. let's, let's pause there for a second. I would love to know more about the things that you hear in the comments about sexuality, because to me, the, these symptoms would cause massive confusion in terms of your gender identity, sometimes your right. sexuality. Um, what, what are some of the things that you've heard about sexuality, you know, either in the comments or talking to other sufferers in the PSSD network? Right. Uh, so, I mean, I can start with the comments. I have a screenshot of this. I might send you this maybe to show. Uh, so, for example, one person commented, oh, I just thought I was asexual or my genitals were broken. Um, I've been on SSRIs for like a decade and think I'm asexual, LOL, I'm 23. Uh, am I asexual or do I have PSSD? 27 taking meds since 16. You know, that those are the kind of comments and then another person posted on Zoloft and happily asexual, for example. Uh, I'll send you the screenshot uh, later after yeah. this. So yeah, those are what people say. And inside the community, uh, I think there were some people who questioned their sexuality, like, because they couldn't feel anything. They they were like, oh, am I maybe not interested in women? Am I maybe interested in men? You know, well, because they, that, it, that's what Simon told me. He said, you know, he, right. he would be he'd be having encounters with women who he thought were very beautiful, and he'd be worried about the erectile dysfunction, and he'd just be like, you know, am I gay? You know, he was very candid yeah. about it, but it was, you know, it wasn't just a glib remark. I think, you know, the the repeated, you know, inability to be able to have, um, you know, sex the way he used to and be feel arousal the way he used to really, it kind of it it. It really messed with him. I mean, there's, there's no other way to, to say that. And and I'm not surprised. I, I'd feel exactly the yeah. same way if it happened to me. And and not only just sexuality, also like uh, part like romantic relationships, you know, yeah. when you're married and your partner takes antidepressants suddenly, for my, my girlfriend kind of like lost her emotional feelings for me completely. Like it was kind of night and day. And uh, this, of course, this has caused marriages to break up and they, and some people don't even know why. They think, oh, I'm just not interested in this person anymore, you know. For example, and I've heard, I've read these messages too, like, oh, I broke. I, I thought it was me my whole life. I've been with these people and never felt something. So it, it's it can really have such a major impact, not only on the sufferers, also on the partners, you know. And I would assume also, let's say you're a mother who takes this. Uh, when you're like apathetic, I don't think it's a good way to treat, you know, kids as well. You know, when you're dealing with kids and you have emotional blunting, I'm not sure how well these two mix, you know? No, and it's, it's, it's a mess. It's, this is something that I think is, it's, it's so common these days. You know, I, I look at how the workforce is set up and maybe I'm biased because I'm, you know, I'm in, I'm in medicine, I'm in a profession where the women, you know, they finish their training in their late twenties or something like that. At least in the U.S., this usually comes with about three hundred thousand dollars U.S. debt, um, and so you have these women that graduate into full-time jobs right when they're needing to have children, and um, and so they have to not only you know their partner works, you know partners might be a doctor as well, and they have to work full-time, and then they have to have children, um, and the 
you know, I, I know so many female physicians who have been pushed on antidepressants at this time in their life when they're trying to juggle both things because you right. can't juggle both things. I mean, it is a mess, uh, you know, d- doing that and then, you know, not even being able to kind of really ease off how much you're working because you have that much debt. And so I feel like this this transition period for women when they're moving from their 20s to their 30s and they're juggling having children with um, their careers, yeah, they, they get pushed onto antidepressants. And, and just like you said there, you know, the general effect of it is this kind of can be this blunting, you know, and, and maybe it's therapeutic in some areas because it allows them to cope, but it spills over into their relationships and also into the level of attunement that they have with their children. And I don't know how much of a big deal it is, but I imagine it's a pretty big deal if, you, you know, you've blunted a mother's level of attunement to the to the child. It, it, it's hard to kind of quantify how much of a problem that is. I'm, I you know, actually, I'm, I'm uh, sure. To, to, yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, to jump in there, uh, because my mom had been on medication for, has been and still is for as, uh, 20, more than 20 years. Also, she's on uh, paroxetine and she's on uh, Zyprexa. I mean, she got this like, you know, all the way back in the 80s when there was less awareness about anything. And I also, when thinking back now, because it makes sense now, she's less, she was at the moment she took these meds, she's less loving and more distant and a bit lower. She's like blunted. And uh, for example, when her father passed away, um, she she couldn't cry in the hospital. Like, you know, I was there too. I remember this and we were all crying. Even my dad was crying, who wasn't his father. And, and, he, and my mom couldn't cry at all. And she, she spoke to me after this and she found this weird, but she didn't really think much about it because she thought, okay, yeah, it's, it's how it is now, you know? So it was just really, some things are really messed up when you think about it. Yeah, I mean, if you want to go down a dark rabbit hole, I mean, there's a whole Facebook page called Marriages Destroyed by Antidepressants. I mean, maybe you've been yeah. in there, but it's, um, you know, obviously some of the stories are kind of talking about the, the distance and the blunting and the apathy, but you know, there's also some reactions where, you know, the you know the the either the men or the women they become disinhibited, you know, while they're on the medication, they go out and they have affairs and different things like oh, that, yeah. and and then they come off the medication and they have to rebuild their marriage after, um, you know, the, all all of these problems. So it's it's and it's like no wonder, you know, you know, when 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 you give someone a drug that can have these diverse effects and maybe at the fringes, yeah, you're having things like severe emotional blunting or disinhibition that looks like mania. I mean, it's, it's, it's just going to, I mean, it's going to ruin these relationships. We are, we always think about like the person who has the problem. Oh, you know, mm. but it's so much bigger than that. And actually, well, yeah, that's the, that's a good transition. What, what has it been like for you in, in, in the relationship, uh, I guess, confronting, you know, the blunting and then I guess working through that with your girlfriend and, you know, you know, that, that transition and change to kind of keep it together to, to tell us a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Um, so in the beginning, when I, when I actually had to accept that it was PCSD, it was very traumatic. I mean, because I was like, you know, I spoke to many friends and uh, most of them didn't understand. One of my friends said, oh, so it's like most women who have low libido. And I was like, huh, <laughs> what are you saying? So yeah. some, I had some weird responses anyway. So how I dealt with it was just, we try to talk as much as we can. We just, you know, we, 
when you are a sufferer, when you're in a relationship with a sufferer, I know some others as well, you can never blame yourself because that's the first thing you do when suddenly your partner is not interested anymore anymore in you romantically. You're like, oh, it's because of me. Am I, you know, am I, is it because I changed? Is it because, you know, I'm fat, whatever? Is it because of this? And mm -hmm. this is something that you, as a, a partner of a sufferer, have to kind of accept that it's not your fault. And, uh, and that you both should see this and accept that. That's the first step, I would say. Uh, and then making sure you communicate. Um, for, for example, my girlfriend still, you know, says it's harder for her to show the, the love as she could before, but she still, you know, confirms the love. And, you know, that's communication is so important here. And you cannot take things personal, you know, if, and, um, you kind of have to adapt, you know, you maybe you do less things together now because, they're a bit more distant, for example, for example, and you do your own thing more. That's one way of dealing with it. You know, how I look at this to kind of cope is when you're in a relationship for a long time, at some point, the romance kind of, you know, goes away a bit and you kind of get to your own thing. And I kind of look at it like this. It's not comparable, but it's a, the, the most comparable example that most people know. Uh, so you basically just, you know, you kind of go, go through it. It happened way too early, obviously, for us. Um, but yeah, that's just how it is now. Um, I'm, I'm very grateful that my girlfriend's not like extremely anhedonic or bed bound or something as some people are. She, she's still struggling with it, but it's not, she's not like, you know, uh, completely, you know, it's, it's still manageable to some extent. It's still not, I, I don't, we don't want this obviously, right? We want this fixed, but it's, you know, it could have been a lot worse. And that's also how at least I cope with it. You know, it could have been that maybe she take, took her life, as I've seen some people yeah. talk about. Okay, sorry, continue. Yeah, no, I was going to say, from you, you know, maybe in your own experience and also talking to other people who have had this, do you find that people with PSSD end up needing to pretend to do certain affectionate things in relationships because, you know, to, to kind of keep them going? You know, I'm trying to think about my relationship and it's like, you know, maybe, you know, you walk out to the kitchen one day and you, you get a hug. Oh, I just want to give you a hug. But I would imagine maybe if I like, I don't know if, you know, the little kind of gestures of affection that might may spontaneously arise in a relationship, if they disappear, whether you feel like, um, you know, sufferers end up, you know, for the sake of kind of trying to keep things normal, just pretending. I, I, I was wondering if you could comment on that. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely the case. You kind of have to train your brain to like show love and affection because you're not naturally driven to do it. And that's kind of weird when you think about it because mm -hmm. people, the, the non-sufferer might think, oh, you don't actually mean it. You're just pretending, but that's just the reality how it is now. You, they have to adapt as well, you know? Uh, so, I mean, I've seen PSSD sufferers. They, they have partners, female partners and, uh, they are like try their best to be able to, you know, please them uh, sexually, for example. Um, they really do everything they can. And some, even if they can't have, you know, they can't feel anything down there and, but they can still get an erection. They still, you know, try to go with it because being alone with PCSD is, is really not something I would wish on anyone. I think it must be horrible. So these people will sometimes even take abuse. So they don't, they're not alone. I, this is from, the PFS sufferer, I've heard. Uh, uh, yeah. And, and she, I know he, uh, I mean, in my eyes, is getting abused sometimes, like verbally. 
and but he doesn't want to be alone with the conditions and of course you you try to do everything to not be alone you you're, you walk more on eggshells maybe or you you know you 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 don't you know it, it it's just not it's not at all something people want to be alone with if they already yeah. some people say oh i don't want to enter a new relationship which is something different right because there's like you don't have the past memories but if you're in one losing this can be really de detrimental and mental to the patient i would say could you share some stories about people i, I don't know if you know any any who have had PSSD but have still managed to form new relationships with it and what that process is like. Because I could imagine it could yeah. be really daunting. Like, you know, I, 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 had a, I had a friend once who was, um, un, you know, unfortunately ended up with uh, genital awards. I mean, it's, it's not HIV or anything oh, yeah. like that. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a big enough deal that you tell someone when, when you're going into a relationship and, uh, and, and something like that. It, you, you know, and that obviously is incredibly anxiety provoking if you want to do the right thing and be kind of truthful with your partner about it. And so I imagine with PSSD, I mean, it's it's not exactly the same, but there's some similarities there. I mean, as you embark into this relationship, you have to share something that's very intimate and then it's also kind of embarrassing. And then it also makes you feel like, you know, is this person going to want to be with someone who's coming along with this you know, with this, with these concerns. So I, I was wondering what you've seen in terms of PSSD sufferers, you know, re-entering like, you know, relationships and things like that. Yeah. So, um, so there's actually two kind of groups. There are some people with PSSD who don't want to enter a relationship because they think it's not worth it. And if you're really emotionally blunted, you just, you can't feel anything anyway. So some people say, oh, why would I even, you know, spend the effort? That's one the people who can feel things and still want to have a relationship there's many people who just cannot have sexual pleasure but they still have you know emotions and you know uh they, these people they uh they just try to so first of all if you enter a new one you should definitely just be honest and say it straight away because you don't want to like you you might as well maybe shorten it sooner than maybe later that you have to talk about it uh so from what i've seen from people there is someone i know who had PCSD for a long time, and she basically got better over time to the point where she can can date. I think this was like 10 years or something. Uh, so she's maybe like 30% or something, and uh, she re-entered the field. And obviously, it's not easy, right? And, uh, you know, so what she did is you, did, you just try to do what you can. And maybe it's even better to say to some sufferers to maybe not jump into it straight away if you're not feeling it yourself you know you you maybe shouldn't have a relationship just for the sake of relationship if you can't have any benefit from it at all that's something for example um i i know some so i know some men who have partners and they have pretty severe psd and that uh, they will basically try to do anything they can to be able to please this person in the sexual area so they will maybe get a you know, a penis pump, or they will, I don't know, they will, you know, make sure that at least this works. And um, yeah, I, I think it's just important to communicate. Uh, I think it's possible to have a relationship with someone who has PSSD. Uh, you know, uh, so by by just communicating, because there's other ways to kind of 
please each other in a way. It's not all only sex. I mean, I don't want to diminish uh, PSSD, obviously, but if you want to be in a relationship, if you communicate it and you have find the right person, there are some people who may not be as interested into, into sex as you were before PSSD, for example. So then you can still kind of work with it somehow. Uh, I would just say it, you just have to find a way to kind of cope with it to like find an even ground is what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, <laughs> not yeah. really sure. No, no. I mean, I mean, you, I think, I think your insights are good and it's, there's, there's obviously not a one size fits all thing. I mean, you yeah. know, relationship, I mean, it, you know, it's, it, it's a two way street. So you, uh, you need to make sure that you're willing to be able to turn up for the other person and that, you know, that you're meeting their needs and it's so complicated what each yeah. person's individual needs are. Um, have you seen any any people within the PSSD network form relationships? That's another thing that comes to mind, you know, that you could have a lot of isolation because of the condition, but the network is kind of, I mean, it's growing really fast. And, you know, if I was in the network and I was kind of thinking about, you know, where am I going to find someone who gets it? I, I Like, you know, maybe that's in the network as well. I don't know if you've heard any of those stories, but that just... Um. Yeah, I, I've had my, I've had some uh, ideas yeah. like, oh, these these people might be talking privately or something, but um, and not nothing public at least. And I, yeah. as I said before as well, many people are very embarrassed about this, and if nothing works sexually, it's a bit difficult. But you're right. It's if mm. if we want to find someone who maybe understands you, it might be better to look into the PSD community in that sense. Someone who knows your experience. And maybe you can find someone who's also maybe a may more mild form of the condition so you can understand each other. Um, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it, it probably definitely happens. I, I don't really, I haven't really asked around, you know, because it's sure. you know, most people that I, most people that I know don't want to be in a relationship or mm -hmm. already are in one. Uh, there's some people who are married, for example. Uh, and there's, yeah, this like, yeah. Some people just don't want to be in one right now because they say, what's the point? Well, I don't feel anything. My genitals don't work. I, I kind of, I want to wait and hope for, you know, some cure treatments and then maybe think about this. But I think if you have to force yourself to get into one, then you really like, then you're probably better to not start one because then you're already like, you know, really pushing yourself. And it's like, do you need, do you need additional stress? Probably not. Yeah. You know, like, things, yeah. things are probably hard enough without that. Okay. Exactly. Uh, yeah. True. All right. Well, yeah that that was an interesting thread to pull on. I, I maybe a good time to kind of transition to the the future plans of the PSSD network. I mean, like you guys have t t first tell me how many people are in the PSSD network and maybe the community, and then also what what the future plans are to do with this kind of following that you guys have amassed and um, sure. I guess further advocacy. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so I'll start with the the board members. So we are an officially registered charity in in Australia since a, f a month or so. It well, hasn't been that long since we're officially registered. Uh, so we're three people on the board. Me and Rosie are one of uh, two of these people. Then there's also Daniel, uh, who you don't know, but uh, he's also part of the board. And then we have the volunteers group, which is uh, not everyone is equally active, but there's about maybe like 20 people in this group. And a good, like, let's say 10% of these people, uh, no, not 10%, like say like 30% of these people are really active and try to 
you know, been Twitter and all these things. Then we also have the support and the fundraising group. Uh, so the support group has 60 plus members uh, where people try to, you know, we, well, one issue that I also saw with the PSD community is that there's a lot of groups where people experiment with, you know, medication and, you know, you know, read this theory, look into this, but there wasn't really any group that basically is there to, for support reasons. And it wasn't really, it was way too involved into this self-medication idea. And we wanted to create something that was a bit more calm and just like, you know, and not all about this. So that's the support group. Then we also have the fundraising group, which uh, for now is trying to raise aware, uh, raise funds for Melkanji's research and Healy's research. Uh, we also are in the works of getting new research going. Um, we have uh, since recently also gotten a scientific advisor who has looked into PSSD in the past. His name is Dr. Chaka. Uh, he was actually the first to publish on PSSD. Uh, and he's trying to help us, uh, you know, get perhaps external funds or, uh, you know, get new research going. And he's also looking into PCD himself. So um, I hope to, we hope to make an announcement for some like updates. We also have, for example, a uh, different fundraisers in mind for marketing, perhaps, uh, where people can donate so we can use Google ads to promote the PCD issue. That's something a lot of people are interested in. So that's definitely something we will do. Uh, so, and in the meantime, we also try to contact journalists. Uh, there's a BBC Panorama episode that should be coming in June or July or something that we also helped with. We gave them materials, people to talk to. Uh, there's the, uh, just as many journalists as we can find every now and then you'll see an article about our organization or the, the community. Um, but it, as I said before in the previous call with you, it, it's all about consistency, right? PCSD has been talked about before in the past and there's been articles, but as soon as things stop, then people forget about it. So we have to push and push and push and push and push until basically there's no end to it, right? Um, and uh, one thing to do is basically get get in contact with politicians and, uh, you know, get this out there. Um, for example, I will be giving a presentation to the Children's Health Defense, uh, Pennsylvania branch about PCSD. Um, and uh, the, the founder of the, the main branch of the Children's Health Defense is uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, so maybe somehow this way we can raise more awareness. Um, I think if this would ever reach politicians like who really speak up against, maybe not against, but about medication, then this could really change a lot if someone like uh, RFK would mention PSSD because he has spoken about SSRs before, then, I mean, this would be huge. There's some other uh, podcasts that we have uh, in the works. I won't give many details on this yet because it's, I don't want to like, you know, uh, uh, spoil or anything or like talk too much. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but there's, we're trying our best to talk to as many people as we can. Um, we also try to work together with, uh, for example, PSSD Canada. We also speak to uh, PSSD UK. Uh, we also speak to some people from PSSD Germany. We try to, we shouldn't try to like, you know, we should try to work together and talk to as many people as we can. Uh, so yeah, that's, I guess, in a nutshell, what we're doing and what we're up to. That's outstanding. Yeah, I love it. Uh, please 
bring bring me along to any of these things. If, you know, if <laughs> if you need someone, especially if yeah. they're in the U.S., I'll, uh, I'll 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 head I'll head over there and throw my weight behind anything you have to say. Um, but that's great, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, we we usually mm-hmm. ask uh, Dr. Healy for interviews. But I mean, we can also ask you. Of obviously, you're also well spoken, and you know PSSD quite a bit now. So uh, I think it would be great. Uh, we'll definitely have more people. Like usually, interviewers or journalists ask ask. I want to speak to a sufferer and a professional. So that would be perfect in that case. Yeah, yeah. Glad to help any way I can. I mean, uh, highly invested in kind of getting this out there as as much as possible. I think, as I mentioned mm-hmm. beforehand, my my real axe to grind in this is just how easily these medications are given out and how, you know, if, if people truly knew the risks, doctors and patients, they would be a lot more considered, um, you, you know, when they think about getting on these things. Um, and I, I, I just think it would drive much better outcomes. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Ruben. I have to wrap now, but do you have any sure. final thoughts that you wanted that you want to share? Um, yeah, maybe the same as the previous video. It's like uh, we still we still need people to help. We need people all the time. Uh, I'm sometimes a bit afraid that people might uh, like think, "Oh, other people are working, so we we can just maybe chill." I don't know. Some people I have that feeling sometimes. So if you're interested in helping, just reach out to us. We we are open to any kind of work. Uh, you want to do our ideas just come out to us and uh we this how fast this issue is solved is based on how much people actually invest their time and you know if you don't speak up yourself you are slowing it down in some way right so you can really accelerate it by helping out and you know even in the background you don't have to speak on camera if you don't want to there's a lot of to do in on the awareness side in general so if you're struggling and you want to and if you need support or you want to help Please reach out, reach out to us on the PCZ network, I would say. Yeah, that's it. Right. Well, Ruben, thanks again. It's, it's always a pleasure. And uh, please stay in touch, okay? Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. You take care. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to see the full video interview, we also post these to YouTube. Just go to Wit During Psychiatry on YouTube to find those. You'll also find several YouTube exclusive videos from doctors Yosef and Marissa posted several times a week. Finally, if you need help with your drug taper, getting a second opinion, or managing your post-acute withdrawal, come visit us at witduringpsychiatry.com. Our sole focus is on helping patients regain control of their lives and achieve optimal mental health on as little medications as possible.